0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Bar Chat Shorts, where we share with you tiny little nuggets of wonderful chat taken from larger past episodes. On this episode, we are turning our attention back to one of the first ever episodes we recorded, Ginspiration, featuring two of my best friends, Jake Berger and Craig Harper. On this particular clip, we discuss the topic of London dry gin its definition, classification, what it should taste like, what its purpose is in cocktails, and what it shouldn't be. We just touched at the start there about how broad the gin market is now and you know how that sort of idea of London Dry is getting increasingly diluted and watered down. Well, there wasn't a
1: law when I first started in this that London Dry wasn't protected at all. Well, it was, but very vaguely. Mm. And do you remember in about mid sort of 2005, six, something like that, that's when the law changed and a gin brand I was actually working for, which had classed itself as London Dry, could no longer do so. Mm. Yeah. So it has been more protected. It, it, I think. it felt to
0: me like there, there was a sort of tipping point where brands up to about, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, any new gin brand felt compelled to classify themselves as a London Dry because it was just the norm. Consumers and recognized
1: consumers recognised it. And consumers
0: recognised it, even though they didn't know what it meant. Exactly. And then at some point in time, I've got a few ideas as to which brands you know, made this happen, there was no longer any need to do that. It didn't need to be a London Dry, and therefore it gave you carte blanche to make products that weren't really gins anymore. And
2: I've looked into the, the earliest reference i found to those three words, London Dry Gin, being get back to from the 1930s and in fact it was an advert for Gordon's gin was the first place I've seen that phrase used whether whether gardens were the true precursors of that I don't know for sure but that's, I think the, they were. that's the earliest reference I found to it but that was just a you know that was a, a, a phrase used in, in advertising it wasn't a designated protected style of gin but one of the first things i point out is that it's not a Protected geographical status. That doesn't have to be made in London. I would imagine fifty percent of the consumers think that London gin comes from London, mm. and of course it doesn't. That doesn't necessarily mean that that it should. Uh, I think you know most things that have got protected origin status, like champagne and cognac. Uh, they have a protected status because the terroir, the area influences the flavour and the character of the product.
0: It's a little bit like um, American bar in a way, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah, I guess. It, it doesn't have to Signifi- be in America, but yeah. it's significant, it's American signifying drinks. of where that style of bar came from. I,
1: I think the first thing, uh, John Doxett, who is quite a famous gin writer of his time, who didn't let the truth get in the way of a good story. He was the first person I sort of explain London dry gin. And he said it was essentially as the drier style became more popular than what had gone before. Dry gin just didn't sound as good as London Dry Gin. And that is a way of them signifying. And at the time, the major brands were still here. And it gave them, uh, I I guess, a USP, something that was quite unique for themselves. And again, whether that's true or not, but it's, you know, that those brands were there. Now it was the predominant style and it just sounded better than the non-sweetened gin that perhaps they were selling in quantities before that.
0: Um, Probably a good time, actually, just to say what a London Dry Gin should be and what it should taste like.
1: None of the flavours should come from
2: the spirit, none of the flavours should come from the water, and all of the flavours should come from the botanicals. So for that reason, the spirit that we use is essentially as close as we can get to completely colourless, flavourless, odourless, pure ethanol, as is practical through conventional distillation means. Uh, the water we use is generally speaking has gone through you know some pretty uh, intense uh, purification processes, so for most London judges, the whole story is in the botanicals and uniquely to London judge, in, the regulations say that those botanicals must be of natural origin we can 't use extracts, concentrates, uh, artificial flavourings, especially parts of plants. And juniper forward, right? And juniper, of course, must be the, the predominant mm. flavour. It's also now, the most debatable point, I'd say, though. Well, I was going to say, yeah. But, <laughs> I, 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 it's I, quite I, subjective,
0: isn't it? Well, not, very, not always not subjective, subjective. but
2: uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in some of the categories, like bourbon, where you know they talk about corn being the predominant grain and the mash bill must be made about a 51% corn minimum. Um
0: it's easy enough to do, right? I mean, it's just maths. But, yeah. yeah, For
1: gin, there's no maths or science involved. Regulations can sometimes be helpful because they give you a frame and they allow people not to wander too far left or right of where ideally you want to be. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it's actually helpful in this yeah, case. Yeah, that- but what I'm
0: saying is if all of the juniper four gins in the world, like Tanqueray and Gordon's, etc., um, were designated London Dry, then that would be a useful framework for me but of course there are gins being produced in america and lots of different parts of the world that conform to london dry but don't call themselves london dry because they're attempting to create a new category of gin in their native markets so what about classic cocktails so many of these were uh, gin cocktails were invented in the late 19th century early 20th century and of course called for london dry gin or occasionally old tom gin um so the kind of formula or holland's or holland's gin, or holland's gin, say, gin yeah. even yeah. yeah when we can talk about that um and the formula for these drinks are based on that juniper before design of gin as it was then so when we're recreating these classic cocktails we're not really recreating the drink if we're not using a juniper before gin right um you could argue that but also say those cocktails tend to be really sweet so we had a very different palette i think back in the
1: you know the late 1800s there was gom in a martini, mm. which you know. That's authentic, if, if you want to say that, but I'd have a heart attack if you... Uh, I saw someone pick up the bottle of gum to pop it in my martini afterwards as well. So it's like, how much do you want to adapt it? And I know what you say about gin needing some protection, but I also think the door needs to be open for people who aren't there yet. I mean, Tanqueray, um, it's, it's my favourite gin, but it's very juniper-dominant. It's a big, bold flavour. It's probably not the first gin you're going to try. You need to warm up. Tanqueray is a pretty good kind of time capsule of what gin would have tested
2: like in the 1830s, the 1840s, when the style that we now know as London Georgian was really in its infancy, when it was first becoming uh,
1: noticeably different from the Dutch gin. And shows you we can do less is more sometimes. Looking at the balance of less flavours can actually give you something, a better result.
0: Thanks for listening to this Bar Chat Short. If you enjoyed listening to Craig and Jake, then you're going to love the full episode. You'll find it on your favourite podcast platform. And don't forget to rate and subscribe see you next time